Hey, Gus, um, would you like to say a few words? Yeah. That was a singular word. Sorry. Uh, multiple words, structure, uh, sentence, uh, fragmentation. I heard a quote that I really liked the other day that I think that you would enjoy. Oh yeah. Uh, from what I read, it was accredited to Mark Twain. Okay. In a letter that he wrote. Okay. I forget who it was to. Very believable so far. But he basically said, Uh huh. had I had more time to write this, I would have written less. And I think that's kind of cool. I think it speaks to thinking before you speak. Uh, yeah. And and uh, the power of being succinct. I think a lot of writers think that way too. Like there's something to be said about being able to tell a story in as little words as possible. Well, I think, I think that that's more challenging. It is. <clears throat> I also think that... But it's also probably more rewarding, right? Because you're probably. you're able to get people engaged faster. Like I think, I also think now, as, a, as and I don't I don't write very frequently, but I think that probably right. as, uh, I think if writing was like your profession or hobby or whatever it is, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit more fulfilling too to try to say more in less. Right, and now of course there's always there is always with everything. There, there's exceptions to that rule. Like there's uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is a great example. Sure. Because that dude would write 20 pages about like walking over a blade of grass in The in the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Right. But Tolkien was so good with his style of writing that it was never like, it was never boring. It was just, there was so much rich detail in what, in the stories he told that yeah. you just kind of, you kind of bought into it pretty early on. Well, I think part of the key to that too is sometimes writing more um, can kind of come off as being pretentious. Like right. there's, there's something to be said for just brevity in general yeah. that makes you a little more relatable as a writer. You want, yeah. you don't want the audience to be so flooded with words. Right. Especially that, big, like complex words. Like if, if you can, like I said, if you can, take all those complex words out and still tell a good story, you're accomplishing so much more than you would be if you were trying to like be a big boastful writer who's like, look at the words I can string together to tell this story. Right. It's about look at how good this story is that I'm telling. Right. Like you can, you can, you can tell a good story with very few words and with a lot of words, but as long as the focus is on how good of a story you're trying to tell, then, you know, your brevity or, or density in, in the words you choose kind of should just be a, almost like a subconscious result of what you're trying to say. Well, and that's what, that's part of what makes storytelling such an art is right. your words, like what, what you write kind of has to ebb and flow with the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think that words can be intimidating at times, both for writers and readers or listeners or whoever. Yeah. Um, I think for for the storyteller, there's sort of an obligation to, you know, find the right words. There's an obligation to put words down or say words that the audience can understand and can right. relate to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
part of that is why people have such a hard time with Shakespeare. Because the words, the writing in Shakespeare is is intimidating. If you read it on paper, yeah, it can be a lot to try to keep track of. But also, Shakespeare undeniably changed the English language. There are words oh. that would not exist without Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, not that, I don't know that I'd want to compare Tolkien and Shakespeare, but right. Shakespeare didn't shy away from using a whole host of different words and and lengthy words, Mm -hmm. um, which we kind of spend a lot of time talking about to bring this back to film. Yeah. We spend a lot of time talking about showing and not telling. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why Shakespeare is so hard to translate into film. Right. Because at, at the end of the day, it still is Shakespeare's work is plays. Mm-hmm. He he was a playwright. Right. Um, it wasn't really meant to be translated into film, obviously, because mm-hmm. of the times. Right. And there's not very many directors who have been able to do it successfully. Yes. I would argue. I'm trying to think if there's even... I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of stories that are, like, based on a Shakespearean tragedy or, like that take like the base idea of a Shakespeare story and then turn it into a completely different, right? Well, a completely different narrative to to understand Shakespeare is to understand a lot of the English language and a lot of just modern stories. I think a lot of, a lot of, I mean, Shakespeare is kind of like the root of most tragedy too. Sure. Like if you have any form of tragedy in the stories you're telling, there's probably going to be little notes of, of some, some Shakespearean tragedy out there because I mean for hundreds of years now Shakespeare has kind of been the baseline for like what does it take to tell a good tragic tale well and but I think I think like what you're saying like a direct like a almost word for word um, adaptation to film I don't think has ever like legitimately successfully happened. I I think I'm sure there were, I, I think they did. I think they did Hamlet with Sean Connery back in the day. I could be wrong about, about it being Sean Connery, but I know there have been a couple Shakespearean stories that people did, you know, see as, as very well done adaptations, but I don't know to what extent they were actual, like direct word for word retellings in the same way that Joel Cohen's tragedy of Macbeth was. I think, I think that a lot of the success and now that we've kind of had a, a few days to think on to just, absorb it, just that, that film. Um, I think a lot of the success that Joel Cohen found is he didn't try to, he didn't even try to adapt Shakespeare. He tried to complement it, and 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 that's what he did. He took his visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. He took those he he took those striking uh, visual contrasts, and uh-huh. I think that's that's kind of a theme that that we had talked about a bunch with this film. Yeah, and and you could you could say that that is kind of a direct reflection of the source material of yeah. the story of Macbeth, mm-hmm. but 
he he found a way to just complement the work that was already written for him. Right. Um, to the best of my understanding, he didn't really change any of the words of Macbeth. Right. He he maybe omitted a few. Yeah. Um, where he didn't find them necessary. Right. Um, but truly, the script was written for him. Like the the full text. I know the like the, obviously the full text wasn't adapted into one because that would be like a five and a half hour. <laughs> right. Movie. It would be a long movie. But what was included in the screenplay, from what I understand, is basically a, a word for word, yeah, you know, translation. And I, th- that's why I had kind of told you, kind of going back to just the effect that Shakespeare has had on modern culture, mm-hmm. modern pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I, I wish that I had spent maybe a little bit more time understanding Shakespeare. Uh, I know for I, I, w- I think I'm probably speaking for most people. Our um, our main exposure to Shakespeare is like high school literature, right? Um, that was the last time I read a Shakespeare play. I think, and I don't was, know was in high school. I don't know that that really does it justice because at that point you're trying to break it down from an academic standpoint and not right. from an artistic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wish I understood more Shakespearean references, more Shakespearean language in a way that I could understand the story a bit better. Yeah, but I also think that that's what Joel Cohen did. Is he gave us a he gave us a way of understanding the story uh-huh. that you can't necessarily get from just words especially in today's era where our our language doesn't really translate to to the language used in the original story of mm. Macbeth or or whatever other Shakespeare you're thinking of right i think he well one i one thing i think he did really well was he kind of let the actors like breathe life into the into the dialogue. Yeah. Like you you get a sense of of realism from how well pretty much every actor and actress does in their whatever role they play. I think yeah. that that's one of the one of the big contributors to the fact that I mean, I haven't dude, I haven't read Shakespeare in a long time and there were a lot of times where I was sitting there listening to him talk. We had subtitles on because Holy yeah. shit! If we it's, didn't have it's hard to track, on, I would not have understood a single thing that they said. Right. It, it was at a point where I was like, kind of, I was piecing together the conversation like thirty seconds behind where the conversation was. Sure. But the only reason I was even able to be that close to understanding what they were saying was because of how good Denzel Washington was as Macbeth, because of how good mm-hmm. uh, Francis McDormand was as his wife. I think. What you're talking about, like another thing that Joel Cohen brings to the table here is extremely, like almost like disarming visuals. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're so there's so many great contrasts between like these these uh, kind of tighter close up shots on one of the characters that'll then cut to like. A, a god angle super wide shot mm-hmm. from way above in in seeing it in black and white really helps highlight all the shadows that he uses and in all the like super deep black parts of the frame right well and i where think shadow and i think that's a that is such a, a huge advantage that this movie has where maybe other shakespeare movies didn't was there is such a there's such a clear vision with the the visuals and in the cinematography right in general and i don't know how many other directors other than than cohen 
could have done it to that like supreme level. Yeah, if yeah, that, that makes no. And yeah. and I think that I think there was really no other option for this film than to be shot in black and white. Um, it's it would not have been the same story otherwise. Um, and I think that it also the black and white sort of also allows us to let our guard down that we are just going to experience Shakespeare's writing as well. Right. If, if you film this in color, you're almost preparing yourself for changes to be made in, right. in the script or in the characters or yeah. however it's written. I think that filming it in black and white, um, shooting it in... I don't, I don't know that it was actually film. I don't think it was. I don't think it was either. Um, but... You know, giving us that sort of diminished aspect ratio, it uh-huh. it prepares you for not only the the story of Macbeth, which is a very dark story in and yeah. of itself, right? But also, it it kind of it prepares you for for the script where you're not you're not having to keep up with really much of anything other than just watching what right. is going on. There aren't any distractions. There are no frills in this movie, right? And and even even down to the set. Um, I it seems like most of this was probably filmed on a soundstage. I think rather than on location, outside of maybe a couple shots. I'm pretty sure the cinema, or it was either the cinematographer or the 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 set designer said they they explicitly chose to shoot the entire thing on sets because it it created another level of of kind of. Uh, I can't remember exactly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna misquote I'm gonna misquote what exactly he said, but it just it created a whole nother level of like unevenness. Like you can kind of you can kind of tell that everything is a set, right? But it's also well constructed and well designed that you don't fully buy into the idea that oh yeah this is this is like someone obviously made this, right? You you see it and you go that is like really that looks really believable, but also like. Something. It's, it's almost looks like it's made, it's like the pre-made. uncanny valley of sets. Yeah, seriously. <clears throat> and I think that was like a great, almost a great callback to like the fact that this is a play. Right. So yes. this, it's in its original form, would have been done on a visibly constructed stage with with visibly right. constructed sets. It didn't, it didn't sets. stray from its roots very far. Right. Um. And I, I kind of like how you mentioned just like it's a little bit unbalanced yeah you, you the sets look very realistic and very clean um but at the same time you kind of realize that it, that's not a real location but then you get it, it all goes back to to contrast you get these you get this stark contrast between the blacks and the whites even diff, just different shades of blacks like the blacks in this film are so deep right. and the whites are so like blindingly bright yeah that some in some cases the the one the shot that i think about is and they use this transition a couple times Uh uh-huh they would pan up to the sky where the sky was completely white Uh and then it would just be like birds flying overhead that was the first one i think the next one they did was they panned up to the sky and it was white Uh and then panned down and it was like the sand which was just as white as the sky there was you right. couldn't really tell a difference between the air and the land but you could tell the shapes of figures you could tell uh, the dark water with the reflection of the black witches right which by the way oh. that was one of the, and 
I'm not saying this to try to exaggerate. That was one of the coolest shots I have ever seen oh, yeah. in film where the witch is standing there like basically by her lonesome, but uh-huh. there's a reflection of three witches in the water, in the, in the water, which was like already black. It was like gray yeah. water it, with yeah. a black reflection, white sand and sky all the way around. My thought is maybe it's like bloody water. Yeah. Maybe like, so. There's a war going on. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I, then again. just like the dead trees in the background, like yeah. that shot was beautiful. And this, this whole movie was beautiful. Yeah. Um, one of, one of the best, I would say one of the best film, filmed films, best the shot, best shot films, I uh, guess. one of the best looking films that we oh, have seen, in, seen in years in a long, long time. Right. I mean, a long time. And I think, I think part of that, um, it, it was very, for as, as stark of contrast, uh, as stark as the contrasts were, it was still very pleasing to look at. Oh yeah. Um, and the the I think the, the aspect ratio was like one point three seven to one. Like it was, it was barely it was barely off from square. Right. Um, and it all just worked so much together. There was nothing with the cinematography that felt out of place. Like you could right. tell they had a very clear vision for what they wanted this to uh-huh. look like. Right. And that makes it so much more enjoyable for us, especially when, like you kind of said, we're following along with dialogue that we barely understand yeah with a whole host of different accents that don't really go together right which that was a that was a a specific choice to not have matching accents to not have everyone sound like they're british or irish right or they just Welsh. sound like whoever the actor is the, yeah denzel sounds like that Den- he puts on no accent right. whatsoever i don't even think like francis mcdormand didn't and she i'm pretty sure no. she's american she didn't put on much like the only people who really put on legitimate accents were people who had legitimate right accents, like the British, Irish, right. And actors I think in the, I think the, Macbeth as a character is Scottish. This so because yes, Macbeth has also been called the Scottish play, right? Um, Denzel, we might as well just get into Denzel, into, into Denzel. And, and into the acting in general. Denzel deserved all of the praise that he got leading up to this oh, film. And, absolutely. And he received a lot of it, especially for, specifically from Frances McDormand. She was the one, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but basically saying like he was born to play Macbeth. And like he, bring, yeah. bringing someone in with his experience, um, people had basically said like it was it was just a matter of time. Like right. he, the, the time that he has had on stage, his, um, his past acting uh-huh. career helped him way more than like if you were to try to find a fresh face for this role right like this this role was made for him and he was made for this role and right. he did such a good job his his physical acting just playing basically a crazy person because right. Macbeth loses his mind yeah that he has killed to try to get his way to the throne right he he, he kills he, to ascend to the throne he can't. He, his mind cannot handle knowing that there's blood on his hands. Right. And he plays a very good person who is losing his mind in real time. Like you right. see him, his his thoughts kind of wander. But that was written for him. You yeah. see his eyes wander. You see him pacing down room or down hallways or or pacing in rooms. And uh, I think that his his delivery also made his lines so much more understandable. Right. Because you could sense the emotion behind them. It's so easy to read Shakespeare and in your mind it's just monotonous. Yeah. yeah. Um 
but Denzel's performance um, and his delivery of the lines were it, it was incredible <clears throat> to actually capture like all all of that inflection right that as just like a a, a casual reader you you wouldn't really pick up on right to capture all of those like all of the the different emotional levels that he does yeah and again you you kind of talked about like he's proven in his career that he can play he can play so well like the very um unhinged character but he can also have these amazing like subtle quiet moments where so much of like what's going on in his head is withheld and instead it's conveyed through his facial expressions how his eyes are are looking around in the setting he's in like he he has such a a broad range as an actor that he's proven over the past uh i don't know in his first 30 years now i i think yeah 30 plus years that when you see denzel i mean he's He's what? He's like late 60s. Yeah, already. he's got to be. I think so. He's yeah. got to be getting up there. Yeah. But when you when you see his face appear, you go, "Oh, I, I could I could get anything out of this performance." And I think that's why hit, casting him was such a great choice because right. he is he is one of the the upper in that upper echelon of all-time great actors who can pretty much fit into any role they want to. And create something that no one else really could, right? And it seems like, like you said, he he's an all time actor playing an all time character, right? He, playing like, an all time tragic. Tra- I don't know if I don't know if they consider Macbeth to be a tragic hero. I know a a lot of the tragedies that Shakespeare wrote. There's like the tra- the tragic hero is you know the, the main like. Um, I know Hamlet's a tra- technically considered a tragic hero, but like Macbeth is one of the few people who's like has poor intentions throughout the film. Right. Like his intentions very rarely come from like a place of good. And he's very easily manipulated. Also, like this story itself we've talked about like it is super dark. It's so dark that like you can't say Macbeth in a theater. Like this right. is the kind of story that you know, Joel Cohen was trying to tell and to get a guy like Denzel who, and again, to not like have to force him into like using a crazy Irish accent or Scottish accent because Macbeth is technically Scottish. Well, and that's not, that's not to say he doesn't make adjustments right. to his tone because Denzel yeah. has a very recognizable voice and it, and yeah. obviously it still comes through in this performance but his voice is usually like so sharp like it yeah. his, his lines like really dig into you yeah his he was a little bit more subdued in this movie yeah not his performance but his delivery of the lines and right. his speech was a, a bit softer and a bit quieter. yeah there was like a and, soft edge to every word he said whereas in other movies before you can like feel like the sh- like the sharpness of like what he's like the impact of his delivery in other projects has like you said like it's like it's got that sharp edge to it right whereas here you hear him talking you're like oh that was a very like like very soft he he speaks in a way that would not necessarily make you assume that he has these kind of uh uh oh what's the word uh bad intentions right and even and even after that he 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 leads his people in a way that doesn't 
they don't suspect that he has skeletons in his closet, right. which he does. Um, and towards the end of the film, he's, he kind of starts to break and you see right. that. Um, and we, we have talked about before last time we talked about it was with, um, the little things. Mm. Denzel Washington plays a very good broken character. Yeah. And, and he did the same here, but it was, it was kind of a different type of broken. Right. It was like a self and it was like a self-imposed brokenness in this one. Like right. all of the brokenness that happens to Macbeth is because of the decisions, like it directly because of the the decisions that Macbeth makes. It's not, you know, like it's not a, a consequence of his career or the fact that he lost someone in a in a horrible tragedy. It's that he made these these deep dark evil decisions, and you know he's the whole time he's kind of making this bed for himself. And it doesn't really like it, it. It manifests at the end, and you can you can kind of see like that that spiral. Like you said, he starts off very soft spoken, and you can feel a kind of almost like a welcome, like a welcomeness to the way he talks. But by the end, you get like these really snappy lines of dialogue from him, almost like uh, almost like uh, uh, oh, what's the word like. He's almost cocky by the end of the movie, like he right. really he really thinks that he that no 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 one can actually kill him. That's one of the great one of the great the one of the final scenes when he talks about how no man born of a woman can can kill me, which I think in his mind means only God can kill him because or right. like because like God is the only uh, the only technically the only person who didn't who wasn't born of a woman, sure, right? especially in those times four or five hundred years ago and then you get that great scene with uh <clears throat> i can't remember uh uh I, I almost said othello but that's not that is definitely not who it is with the guy who's like i was i was ripped out of my mother's womb like unceremoniously ripped out of my oh, mother's oh, womb. oh yeah like i was not i was not born of a woman i was i was i was ripped from her body that's like a and again, it's delivered in like the Shakespearean dialogue, but it still has the effect as if it were written for like the modern age, despite the fact that the dialogue they use is was written four hundred years ago. Sure. And I think there there's there is something like there's something to say it like that's really hard to to do. To take dialogue that was written hundreds of years ago and inject it into an adaptation and it still have the same impact had it been written for a more modern, like a more modern sound right. or a more modern I, well, effect. Well, I think I think that part of the draw from this film is it it seems like something that just about everybody could appreciate in any age group, um, and I I I think it was Francis McDormand who was basically saying like. Her and and Denzel and Joel Cohen, like this was them at their absolute A game. Like all of them right. who have have been around for a while, they've all they've all done their time in in the film world. This was some of the best work that they've all done, and it was like it it, it felt like they all kind of just like hit their like flow state with this movie. Right. Um. I think the I think this whole this whole thing was filmed in like thirty six days. It was like just about a month. Oh, yeah. that, that the entire that, movie yeah. was filmed. And, and part of that is because 
like we talked about, like the script was already written. Um, the, the sound stages were built. They didn't have to travel. They didn't have to take people everywhere. But part of that is just because I could see this being a movie where like they got it done mostly on the first try. Like they all, right. their performances all seemed that good. And it, it just really did. It seemed like they were just in their zone. Right. It seemed like, yeah, like <clears throat> they, they weren't 30 takes in on these and some of these i mean some of these scenes have you know the what uh soliloquy is that what shakespeare is known for his soliloquies mm-hmm. the super long so. you know the long poetic monologues there are a lot of monologue scenes in this movie a lot of scenes that have some very dense right. very um uh demanding lines in them like lines that are full of kind of big words but also not necessarily big, big just words that are not of our time anymore words that we're not really we don't really learn to speak that way anymore but to, like to see each and every character deliver these crazy monologues with this crazy dialogue and seem to do it so effortlessly yeah it, it seems like like they were on take three and they got it on like they got it on well, take three they weren't on take 30 like all right, let's try this five-minute-long monologue again. Something like, that I noticed with that is, like, watching watching some of those monologues, they would be done speaking, and I'd be sitting there saying, I have no clue what he is talking about. Yeah. But also, that was just fun to listen to. Like, that monologue you, like was... You can, appreciate, you can appreciate the performance even if the, the language goes a little over your head. Right. And I think that's part of the key, and... and Probably part of why Joel Cohen chose specific monologues is yeah. there there were no scenes there were there were no frivolous scenes in this movie right there was no fat uh, and on I this think, movie at all and I think each scene could be appreciated just by itself yeah um and, and put together you still kind of get the feeling of watching a play like you're in a theater watching a play right um. Overall, I think that I think that this was probably at least the best that I have seen, the best Shakespeare adaptation. Yeah, um, definitely the my favorite of any for Shakespeare sure adaptation my favorite I've seen um, by I, a large margin. I think they only, I think they did just enough to make it enjoyable, but they yeah. only did they also only did what they needed to. Right, they didn't. Um, it, it's kind of like talking about language that's sort of outdated. They could have just as easily taken out like the yees and the these and right. the thous and, and kept some of the other language the same. But right. we've seen that in other adaptations that just don't work yeah. it, because you, you almost get to a point where you recognize that's not really Shakespeare. Right. But by the time you get to that point, you're you're either forced to keep it as Shakespeare or rewrite your your script. Right. Completely rewrite it. It's for, and for, and Joel Cohen just said, "Hey, we're going to take what we need and we're going to yeah. leave what we don't." Yeah. And and it and it worked out perfectly. It's so stri- it's so stripped down, but not to the point where you think there's something missing. Um the they could have very easily run into the issue of having a two hour and 40 minute long movie where you felt like a good 45 minutes was just kind of, kind of plodding around, like maybe, maybe using that Shakespeare dialogue a bit too much and not like going anywhere with it. Like this movie felt like it had absolutely every scene it needed and no more. 
Right, and, and it was no less. It was it, what it in, felt in like hour and forty minutes. Hour, yeah, in, maybe like, like hour fifty, range. hour forty-eight, something like that. And it didn't. It, we we kind of talk about movies that are the perfect length, and yeah. like this felt like that. There's over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of films that we watch where we're like, oh, I wish I had a little more, or like, eh, it could have been twenty minutes shorter. Where we're like, oh my god, are we still watch? We're still watching this. This ended, and you're just like, that makes sense. You're like, like okay, that's, okay, that's good. Yeah. I don't need happy any with that. I don't need any more. Right. That was that was the exact amount that I needed. Right. I just didn't even realize it until I got to the end and, and I saw even, the credits roll and I was like, and right. just that in and of itself, it's it's hard to either praise or critique pacing with something like Shakespeare. Right. But right. It because just, it's so dialogue, it is so right. dialogue right. heavy. But just having like a proper runtime and like a right. comfortable runtime. That's that's a credit to Joel Cohen for yeah making that decision and and to be able to say enough is enough right because I feel other directors may have tried to turn this into a two and a half hour long movie yeah and it would have been too much right he he had no problem saying okay we're we're done we're done you this know also like the fact that again this is Shakespeare a a dialogue heavy type of storytelling the fact that this is the story we get but it's also like one of the most visually stunning things i i've seen oh yeah in a while like that that says a that says a lot about like how how skilled joel cohen is how how skilled the the cinematography team he brought on was Mm -hmm. like the fact that i was almost more interested in how they were going to kind of like I don't know show me something that was visually interesting more so than like when's the next monologue coming like there is so much showing despite the fact that pretty much every scene has a lot of dialogue in it I still felt like I was being shown something right like I was getting a lot of explanation through dialogue which I you know I I don't I don't fault the movie for that this is Shakespeare it, it is a also, it's it's based on a play. Plays are a a a spoken medium when it comes to and art. And it's like, because they have to be right, right. Because how are you like you you don't have a camera that just gets to just go right where it needs to be and show you right. something. You're in a in a stage with thousands of people from from you know hundreds of feet away. Mm-hmm. You do have to tell the audience what's, what's going on. Right. The fact that that was happening here because it's Shakespeare. And I was still feeling like Joel Cohen is showing me something as well. Like he's sh- he's showing me Macbeth's kind of downward spiral into madness. He mm-hmm. is not only am I hearing Denzel explain to me that that's happening, I'm also being shown that too. And I think that's that's probably the biggest like compliment I, I think I could can give this movie is yeah. That and and that's kind of I felt that way still. That's kind of just about finding the perfect balance. And that's r- really what this right. movie comes down to is balance how it feels truly just perfectly balanced right like in all ways i found this uh i found this fun fact that i think you'll enjoy while we were talking here i found this um on the indiba page um the cinematographer Uh for this movie his name is bruno del bonnell del del bonnell del bonnell 
he's done a few movies that you would recognize. Uh, he okay. did Bow to Buster Scruggs. Okay. He did Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. But he's also done a bunch of, I think, like foreign films. A bunch of stuff that I don't recognize. That you haven't. Yeah, yeah. Um, he said, and this is super interesting, and I love, I love this style because he chose to not just make a movie black and white. Right. He said that almost all of the costumes and the sets were black and white. The sets were painted in black and white. He used black paints to accentuate shadows to make them look like more otherworldly. He, right. he used black and white paint to his advantage with the lighting. Um, he says the exception to the black and white rule was uh, dresses worn by Francis McDormand were in color and then put into grayscale. Wow. But like, that's the thing, something like that with a black and white movie. And we've talked about, we've talked about in the past movies that would have been better in black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the most recent that we had mentioned with that? Ooh. Was it, uh, was it justice league? Like the, cause they Maybe. came out, they came out with the black and white version. And I remember you and I, at the end of watching, yes, you're right. At the end yep. of watching Justice League, we're like, "Oh, that should have been in black and white." And like a week later, not even maybe like a ma two it was days, like a couple like, days. Zack like, Snyder released yeah. his the black and white version, right? Justice's Black or something like yes. that, like whatever it was called. Um, we we have we've t kind of talked about how black and white and, and grayscale can really be used to your advantage artistically, right? Um, I just love that this film embraced that from the beginning they didn't right. try to shoot in color and then make it black and white because they wouldn't have had the same effect right they could not have done the same thing without using those those kind of set tools and set pieces right. to their advantage and 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 it it points to the skill of the cinematographer right. and the skill of of joel cohen to be like hey if if we're going to make this a black and white film if we really want to focus on that contrast yeah we have to do it from you know, the most granular level. Right, right. It can't just be something that we that we change in post-production. There has to be noticeable natural contrast. And it and it was. Like, the contrast oh, yeah. the contrast did not seem natural. No, and, that's, and, well, that's the thing. And yeah. that's that's what made it so enjoyable to look at. Yeah. And and there was there was a lot of shots where like we were just sitting here on the couch watching it and we would just like laugh. Because like sometimes that's right. all you can do is like you see a shot that like you can barely even put words to it. And this, yeah, this yeah. had a lot of those where you're just sitting there and you're like, whoa, you're just like, Oh my God. You're right. Like, do you see that? Well, and what I like, what you're right. What I mean by natural being like, they didn't have to, you don't have to like go in and post and right. create these shadows because like you said, they were designed, they were painted, like sets were painted and designed in a way to where, there are just these insanely stark contrasting, exactly. You know, objects in frame or around. You know, right. And what and frame. what I and of course agreeing with that. What I mean by unnatural is we don't see that type of contrast right. in in the real world. Right. The, like this film, film kind of transports you to a world that we couldn't create ourselves. That's why. Right. That's why we're so fascinated by movies. Right. And even a film as, as I don't even want to say visually simple, but it kind of is. The idea right. is simple. Yeah. 
but the execution still brought us into this world of Macbeth that we yeah. would not be able to experience anywhere else. Right. It, I, I think it, it, it simplifies so many visual ideas and, but then turns around and, and they turn around and do it in like, they did it in the most complex way they, they possibly sure. could have. Right. Right. Like they took the idea, you know, black and white only on pre-built sets, um, you know, kind of like a noir style. Mm-hmm. And then they said, okay, how do we, how do we make this like the most, the most almost overwhelming visual experience? And it's right on the border. It's, it, it is. It's, yeah. it's almost right on the border of being uncomfortable. And in some scenes, it is it because is. it's meant to be. Super uncomfortable in some scenes. It, because sometimes it is, like, the contrast is almost too much to look at with the black and whites. Or sometimes, some scenes where you wish there was more contrast because it's, like, black and dark gray. And they're, like, right. it, there are times where it borders on uncomfortable, but it's when it's supposed to. Right. When it, when it's, uh, yeah, when it, when it is supposed to be kind of, uh, kind of uh, an uneven an uneven moment or a scene where you're supposed to feel a little, you know, uh, I guess uncertain. Um, but yeah, there's, um, do you want to grade it? How do you, uh, yeah, you go first. Um, okay. First final thoughts. Yes. Um, I've only taken a, f- a few film classes in my day. Uh-huh. I, I think that this is a film that could be shown in film school <clears throat> as a lesson on balance and cron- contrast. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like you said, it trimmed all the fat yeah. off of a Macbeth adaptation. Um, I, I truly think this was one of my favorites from 2021. We watched it a little late, but I think it was yeah. one of the best of the year. Um, it, it will go on the top 10 for me for 2021. Right. For sure. And um, I had kind of mentioned, I think that this film probably deserves some Oscars, but it didn't feel like it was Oscar bait. Like it wasn't, it wasn't trying to, it yeah. wasn't trying to earn an Oscar. Yeah. But I think it probably earned a couple. I would hope so. Um, I, we all know how much I love Denzel. I yeah. think, I think I have to give it an A. An A. I, I, I loved it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Same grade. I think this is, a a stripped down yet somehow fully realized and and um impactful story the movie as a whole they're they're it, it's so weird it's weird to feel like there wasn't too much but also it was jam-packed right like it's a weird kind of contrast to feel like to feel one way and then also feel that same way about a movie especially a Shakespeare movie to feel like something that is directly adapted from Shakespeare, like a direct yeah. adaptation from Shakespeare to get to the end and not be like, man, that was like, that was a lot. Right. Like, that was an exhaustingly like an exhausting or overwhelming experience. There are moments that feel overwhelming and moments that f- make you feel uneasy, but it's always purposeful. And it's not because they're trying to do too much. It's never sure. because you're, they're trying because Joel Cohen and the cinematographers and the actors are trying to do too much. It, it's really just because they're in a scene where that is what is required of them to mm-hmm. make you feel uncomfortable, to make you feel uneasy. And I totally, totally agree. This is a, one of the best movies of 2021. And I think you're right. This is something you, like this would fit 
perfect, like squarely in like the noir segment of mm-hmm. of a of a film class. Like that that is a great example of what film noir looks like. It's kind of an extreme version because of how extreme everything is visually. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a great example of like here's what happens when you have these this super high contrast, low light, a lot of shadows, a lot of, you know, kind of disturbing imagery that's done in kind of a a low light setting. Oh, the witch. When oh, we first dude. met the witch or witches. And like the contortion. And she's she like, does, like she's like contorting her body and legitimate also, contortion, by the way, too. Like she's yes, actually she's doing actually that. doing that yeah. while also carrying on a conversation from three different perspectives. Because there are three witches. Right, right. And that's the that I think that's the only time we see them all in in one body. After that, the next few times we see them, there are three witches. I think so, yeah. But uh, I got we finally get to the end of that little monologue by the witch. Yeah. And I I'm just I think I asked you. I was like, did did she just have a conversation with three different people? And you were like, indeed she did. Indeed she did. Yeah. <laughs> she actually did. But that's that was what was great about it. I was like, you could tell when she was uh, one of the other three, right, yeah, visually and like through her physical acting uh-huh. and just through the dot, di- like the way she kind of delivered the dialogue too. Yeah, I'm sure in other adaptations it's always been three witches in the scene, but with in this case it's just one. I can't, I don't know who the actress Catherine the actress, Hunter. Catherine Hunter. It's Catherine Hunter, who I believe like has a little bit of a career in contortion, like being a contortionist. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but. Anyway, we're, anyway, we're, listen. I'm, to, I'm gonna I'm gonna start bringing them out. Okay, you do um, that. I'm gonna take a sip of this coffee. I I hope that I I think that I would recommend this movie to just about everybody. Yep. Wh- whether you like Shakespeare, whether you don't, whether you like theater, whether uh-huh. whether you don't, um, this it, this would be a great way to introduce yourself to Shakespeare. It'd be a great way to introduce yourself to noir films especially if you're more of a movie person and not so much of a reading a play person. right exactly um i think that this 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 movie it builds a lot of bridges um so when you watch it because i know you're gonna take our advice and if Uh, i know if we give a movie an a you're gonna watch it you're gonna give it a look so then let us know let us know what you think um i'd love to hear different perspectives i'd love i'd love to hear the perspective of someone who is is well versed in Shakespeare. I'd love to hear it from the perspective of someone who's never watched a film like this in their life, where all of this is is new to them. Uh, but the point being, I want to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you thought about the movie and what you thought about our show. Yes. Um, also, like, subscribe, tell your friends. As always, uh, leave a, a five star rating on Please. both Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. And Spotify, you can rate us on Spotify now. You sure can. Yeah, um, I'm pretty confident in saying we have a perfect five stars because it's only been me who's voted. Oh hell yeah! I'll go so, vote. I'll go vote for. No, I won't. Who am I kidding? I'll go for five stars. Yeah. Um, we are also available on. We're available pretty much anywhere Ev- you listen to your audio. Anywhere and everywhere. Um, the show is hosted on SoundCloud, so if you're a SoundCloud person, we're available on SoundCloud. If you're a right. Apple Podcasting, we're available there. Correct. Spotify, Stitcher, insert name of podcasting platform here, and we're probably there. See. Uh, it's very easy to find us. Uh, we are at Front Row 
no, 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 front underscore row media on Instagram. Feel free to DM us there. Yep. It's a great place actually to reach out because we're always checking that. Always. Um, we're also on Facebook at Front Row Seats. Uh, front Row Media One at gmail.com is the email. Send us an email if you, if you're, if you send emails, if you do that still. I really need to clear out my inbox. Every time I say, every time I mention our email, I think about my work email and how I never check it. Yeah, I have, I have, ever. I'm, I'm about this close to just making a new email, like starting over because Same. I'm kind of annoyed with myself for letting it get to this point. Right. But now there's no going back. There is no, no, there's, you can't, there's no way to sort through it. Once you get this out of hand yeah. with unread messages yeah. and most of it is like subscriptions and spam yeah. and stuff like that. There's no going back, especially because the Gmail app started merging both of my inboxes and it pisses me off because I had one email that was for like personal stuff, one email that was for like important stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and now they're both the same inbox and Ooh. I have found myself, you still have to, you're still logged into only one. Uh-huh. I guess now three, because I also have our email on there. Right. You're, you're logged right. in. You're logged into only one, <laughs> but you see the messages for all of them. And yeah. I started responding to emails from the wrong email. Oh shit! So yeah. then I was getting like important stuff to my not important email, and not important stuff to my important email. And then in all of this, I was getting like random messages from our front row email. Right. It's all just a blur to me. It's just a mess. It's, it a, it's one big mess. But anyway, email us if you want to. Likely won't see it. We may not see it, but if we do, we'll reply. Uh, anyway, uh, much love. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time.